So we're starting a new series today, as you know, and uh, it's called A Passion for Mission, and it's a month of reflection on uh, unleashing the church. We've been looking at our own mission and vision, what it is that God has called us to do, and now for the month of June, I can't believe it's June already, we're thinking about the call of the church to give itself away, to go beyond our own inner circle to think more than uh, about ourselves, but to think about all the needs of folks who are out there and all the opportunities we have to bless people with God's love. Even as we held, and I held in my arms this morning, um, the little ones, you know, who, who uh, are, are beautiful but, but fragile, so, so vulnerable. You know, God cares deeply about us in our state of vulnerability. And all of us are vulnerable to some extent. Today we're going to look at a particular category, not so much of people, but maybe of condition, because all of us at some time or another have felt fragile, vulnerable, poor, and needy. And the truth is, at all times, we are poor in the eyes of God and needy in the eyes of God and incomplete and not self-sufficient, and we all need help. But God has a heart for, you read the Old Testament and New Testament, a heart for the poor. A heart for those who are struggling. And that's true for us, and it's true for the people we know and love, and it's true for the people who are still strangers to us. So I want to begin with a question, and I'm going to do something today that I don't ordinarily do, because what I like to do is take a chunk of Scripture, a passage, and unpack it. But today we're going to kind of run through Scripture a little bit, because we're going to take a look at this category of the poor. And the question is this, what is our responsibility to the poor? The dangerous question. Um, I wouldn't be uh, surprised if somebody wanted to walk out right now because maybe you don't want to know the answer to that question. If you underestimate the question um, and treat it lightly as in, well, if I get around to it, if I ever think about it, you know, I might do something. I might throw some token gift towards somebody who seems to be needy. Um, that's hardly adequate, and now, because God himself is the champion for the poor, you have a new level of accountability, which you have just walked away from. If you take it seriously, now all of a sudden there's a, there is a sense, a new sense of responsibility. Your eyes are now open to things and realities that you haven't seen before, and opportunities that you can, you can step into, and your life is going to be changed. If you take seriously your opportunity to reach out to people who are in need, to people who are struggling, to people who are on the margins, who are on the edge. If you overestimate your ability to respond to this question, you're in trouble because that means you may take on a responsibility that is not yours. How many of you know that you're not the Messiah? Okay, you're not the Savior of the world. Some of you are still struggling with that, apparently. Let me put that delusion to rest. It's not you. Only God can take on the whole world. But as you have opportunity and on occasion, and as God puts someone in your path, and as your heart is alerted, you get to respond. But you're not taking everything on. And there are people who take on responsibility because of some need to prove something, to make an impression. We're not about that either. So let me ask you to turn to, if you have a Bible... Otherwise, you can just listen to me. We're not going to flash all these scriptures up. But uh, important for us to kind of get a picture from the Bible 
about God's um, call on us to take a certain responsibility. Let me go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Listen to these verses. Kind of absorb all this. The effect, I think, is going to be cumulative. And I hope it doesn't just add information you know, to your storehouse of information, but it begins to um, penetrate your heart, even if it's uh, a bit defended against uh, this call to, to help those who are in need. There should be no poor among you, God says to Israel. Now, now imagine that. There should be no poor among you. This is sort of the ideal. This is what God ultimately intends. When he created this earth and put us on it, he didn't designate certain people to be poor. And among his people now, his chosen people who are to be a preview of his kingdom and of his will, there should be no poor among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. There's enough blessing for everyone. Is that really true? Is that possible? Is this earth that bountiful? If everything was uh, done well and right and fair and just, and there was caring and compassion... Would there be no poor among us? I think that's a vision we should keep in our minds. If there is a poor man among your brothers, and any, see, there is a possibility that there will be the poor. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns in the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother or sister. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Okay, Um, there's a connection maybe we hadn't thought about, but there it is. And then finally, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Without a grudging heart. I'll do it because I have to do it. I'll do it out of obligation. No, that's not what God has in mind. Not out of a grudging heart. Be generous to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. That's kind of a foundational teaching back in, back in Deuteronomy. Now, if you go way ahead into the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus picks up on one of those phrases as he discusses the issue of poverty and our responsibility and so if you go to uh, Matthew 26, 11, you catch Jesus in a moment, and this is often quoted out of context, so I want to put it into the context. Jesus is saying, the poor you will always have with you. Now, of course, that phrase was in Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy, in the law, went to describe, okay, what does that mean? The poor you will always have with you. It wasn't God's will that any of us be poor, but because we live in a broken world, in a fallen world, um, and there are issues and, 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 uh, and, and problems and struggles and, and uh, conflicts that prevent this ideal from being lived out. So there will be poor. You will always have the poor among you. You could take that to mean, well, they are always here, so um, I can afford to be complacent because they will just always be around. Is that the point? If you go to John chapter 12, from there... you'll get a little more context for what Jesus means. I'm going to read a little more of an extended passage here. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in in, in his honor. 
Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Lazarus, the new celebrity, because of what had just happened in chapter 11. Then Mary took a uh, pint of expensive perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his hair with her, wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor. Now here's a warning for us. Some of us make a pretense of caring and compassion. Judas was one of those. He didn't care about the poor. He was a thief, as a matter of fact. As keeper of the money bag for the disciples, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should have this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Again, is that a license to complacency? They will always be around. They're always around. There's always somebody in need, somebody begging, somebody in trouble, uh, somebody hurting deeply. Um, do we just sort of get used to that and just recognize that's just the way it is and we sort of you know, give in to the status quo? But in Mark 14, 7... I think we have the true context provided for us. Again, another gospel account of this same situation. The poor you will always have with you, Jesus says, and you can help them anytime you want. There's always the opportunity to reach out to someone in need. It's your duty, yes, it is, because you're claiming to be a follower of Christ, and obviously he is constantly attending to those who are on the outside and who are in great need. And the poor flocked to him because of his teaching and because of his, um, um, his invitation. But it's also a great privilege somehow because this is God's work and you and I get to participate in God's work. And there's actually joy in the experience of reaching out to those who are poor. So the first answer to the question, what is our responsibility is our responsibility is awareness of the poor around us. Well, that sounds easy, doesn't it? No, I don't think it is easy. I think most of us, um, for us, the, the poor are invisible. Um, you know, not in my backyard. Um, even when I go by someone who is poor, I don't necessarily feel comfortable addressing them or relating to them or connecting to them or even looking at them. So awareness that actually leads to a kind of empathy. So I'm not hard-hearted. I'm not tight-fisted. I'm not dismissive. I'm not neglectful. No, in fact, if I claim to be a follower of Christ, I'm going to be like him. The poor you always have with you. Ultimately, God is going to resolve that problem. There will be justice. There will be the distribution of all God's blessings. In the meantime, you and I have an opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life. We have that opportunity. We don't want to be like Judas, who sort of made a show of pretense uh, as if he did care, and in fact, he didn't. Okay, there's, there's, there's more answers. Go to Proverbs chapter 30. Love this verse. Um, didn't discover it till a few years ago. It's a couple of verses in which uh, the wise man, Solomon, says this. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you. There's a warning for us. 
I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. In Proverbs 14.31, a little earlier in Proverbs, we read this. If you oppress the poor, you show contempt for their maker. It's not God's desire that um, we treat people in the way that maybe naturally, self, in a self-centered way, we would, we would tend to do. It's God's desire that we are concerned about equality, concerned about lifting those who are down, which causes us to move toward generosity. So a concern for equality will cause you to move toward generosity. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Hopefully you're with me here. A few verses, 13 through 15. Our desire, the Apostle Paul says, is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written. He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. You see, the category itself is a bit artificial. We talk about the poor as if there's a certain kind of person, not like me because I'm not there. Although most of us are reluctant to call ourselves rich, aren't we? How many of you are rich? Okay. I saw a couple hands go up like, like this. Because if I put my hand up too high, somebody might need a loan. <laughs> not ready to give it to them. By all worldly, all global standards, who's rich? Global standards now. Global standards. Top 10%. What do you think? You think you might be there? Okay. And uh, we make the claim often that we are self-made. We did this all by ourselves. How many of us did this all by ourselves? Didn't get any help. Nobody gave us anything. We, uh, we made our fortune all by ourselves from nothing, from scratch. There, there may be somebody who did that. I mean, it would, it, would be, it would be amazing because most of us got a lot of help. We have a lot of advantage and just as that advantage goes your way, it can, become, it can be translated into a disadvantage. You can find yourself um, in a place of great uh, poverty, great need, even crisis. That's happened a lot in the last four years in this country. People who had a lot, who owned a lot, who are real estate rich, for example, have lost so much. We are all the same. We are all human beings. We are all very, very needy. At times we are hugely blessed and we have a lot a lot so that we can do what? So that we can take care of the needs of those we're responsible for. Yes, the little children, for example. But also so that we can give it away, so that we can share, so that we can become generous. And uh, there's a kind of mutuality that God intends, that we're all in this together. We really are a community. And if a community takes care of itself... If we take care of each other, if we really are our brother's keeper and our sister's keeper, if we believe those words we profess to believe, it would make a huge difference. Serving the poor. Serving the poor created in the image of God. Serving the poor, those that God loves. Serving the poor because I've been given more than I need. The problem is, of course, we have a definition of what we need that's so high. Our wants have become needs. Um, if we were to look honestly at that, we would strip that down to our needs, to our daily bread. 
and we would have much more to give, and we would experience the joy of giving, the Bible calls it, and it says it all the time. And we're not to give grudgingly, we're to give joyfully because we know we're doing God's work, we know that it's doing a lot of good, and we know that it's actually good for us to release ourselves from the grip that sometimes we have so tightly on our own possessions. Every once in a while, it's good to just give something away just for the sheer thrill of giving it away. Just, just let it go. It was like the, uh, the neighbor who came to my house. Uh, his mother said he would be coming. He had just been released from, from prison. And uh, he came by, about my age, and it turned out about my size. We're having a great conversation. He's been, out, he's been in prison for almost 10 years. He's coming out now. You can imagine how difficult that is. You can imagine how impoverished he was. And we had a good conversation. We actually uh, um, kind of had a connection there, friend to friend. I was a little bit surprised by that because, after all, I'm a law-abiding guy, and he's not. So that was my pride, which got broken down in this conversation. And uh, um, I said, hey, let's uh, get together again. And we did a second time, and the second time he came over, I noticed he was wearing the same shirt that he was, you know, a week earlier. And so I thought, well, I've got, you know, some extra clothes in my closet. I said, can I get you something? I mean, can, would, would you, could you use a, a few extra shirts? Is that, you know? And he said, yeah. So I walked into my bedroom, I opened up the closet door, and I'm looking for that bowling shirt. You know, that shirt that I don't wear and uh, that I can afford to give away, and I've got a bunch of those. But unfortunately, and I didn't realize this until it was too late, he came, he followed me into the bedroom and was looking over my shoulder and pointed out a shirt that he really liked. He said, that's a beautiful shirt. And I thought to myself, yes, it is. (laughs) Would you like it? I said, through gritted teeth. And he said, oh, that'd be great. So I take it and I give it to him. He's already looking back into my closet. He said, what about that one? Another one of my favorite shirts. He and I are unfortunately a lot alike. And I never would have picked out those two shirts. And I close the closet door quickly. After picking those two shirts, I gave it to him somewhat grudgingly, as you can hear in my tone of voice. And uh, it was no doubt a lesson I was learning. I didn't know how tight-fisted I was. I didn't know how um, careful and cautious I was about giving things away. And God was trying to liberate me as much as he was trying to serve this man who had a legitimate need, a genuine need. And I saw him a number of times after that wearing, looking really good. (laughs) In my shirts that were no longer my shirts, but something I had gifted, I want to say had stolen from me, but I mean (laughs) gifted to him. So I was giving more than my heart wanted to and my heart needed to catch up. And I think a lot of us in our quote-unquote charity need to recognize that what we're giving is sort of the excess of our excess. We're not yet giving out of the abundance that God has given to us. So I think that's, uh, that's important for us to consider. So not only are we called to awareness and empathy, but also to a concern for equality, which leads us to generosity. Eric Kanazawa, are you here? Come on up and, and join me for a moment, would you?
Um, one of the ways in which this church has reached out, and a number of small groups have participated in this, is to City Team in San Jose. And uh, Eric has been part of that. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, um, it's been great, actually. Uh, Tangent with Will has been a great job. So every even month, one Saturday, uh, just one Saturday, there's an opportunity for all the GRX to come over and volunteer. It's a safe environment where we brought our family the first time. And I'm not really an outgoing guy. So, yes, I do have barriers and... I'm not one to introduce myself, but the first time I sang Christmas carols for, what, half an hour to an hour straight. Which is a long time for you. It was a long time for me, but it was a great opportunity, and we had our kids there. The second time we went back, we actually invited our neighbors. So we had the neighbors, and their kids were actually serving, and it was great to see them, um, you know, offering chips, offering water, talking, and uh, just an opportunity to talk and get to know that they're not... People are not different. I mean, they're homeless because of circumstances. Yeah. And we're so lucky that we have what we have right now. But they are not different from us. They have dreams. They have uh, very you know, big aspirations as well. And they just want someone to talk to them. How has this experience changed you? In what ways? Um, it's a reminder for me. Uh, I think for my family as well, and especially my kids, that uh, there are other people who are just different life circumstances uh-huh. that uh, not everyone could go out and buy Skylander things. Not everyone can buy things. And if it falls on the ground and breaks, they just can't, you know, go to the store. But there are other people that are just yeah. not as fortunate. And you think this is a benefit for your kids seeing this early on in their lives? Uh, I hope so. I mean, yeah, we want them to grow up learning that, you know, life's not just going to the store, buying things, going out to dinner all the time. Um, but there are people who are struggling. So it's not just entitlement. They're actually enjoying this experience, it sounds like. Yes, I think so, actually. Your boys. All right. Um, Why should anybody consider doing this, serving the poor? Uh, Because we're called to. And this is a safe environment to do this. Um, My kids are five and seven. We brought our neighbors to this. Uh, They don't go to GRX. We invited them to go. So this is a safe environment for them to at least serve once. And what's happened is you've, you've served food, but along the way you're starting to kind of connect with people and start having conversations. Oh, yes. Which is really ultimately what this is about. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Glad that that's going on. There's another reason why we are called to serve the poor. Um, because embedded in this is a, is, a, is a passion for justice that I think... A lot of us, a lot, lot of us in the younger generation. What I meant to say was, a lot of us in the younger generation, a lot of you in the younger generation have rediscovered in ways that are very inspiring to those of us that may have forgotten about that. Um, there is a passion for justice. There is a passion to make things right. There is a passion to redress discrimination because, um, unfortunately, that happens a lot. And that even results in a kind of advocacy You know, can you become an advocate for those in need? Can you become a champion for those who are poor, for for those who are hurting at that particular moment? Not because you're above or better than, but because you recognize you're the same as. And if you were in that position, you would greatly appreciate it if someone would think of you and remember you. Ultimately, what we're going for, I think, and a relationship with the poor and ministry to those who are needy 
is not all about what we give away materially. It's really about our willingness to do relationship. You know, that's what the gospel is all about. It's about relationship. In, in Luke chapter 4, last passage I want to read, you know, as Jesus starts his ministry, he makes this statement. He's quoting from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and he is now um, beginning his ministry with this statement. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor who really need some good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. You can imagine that they need that. Recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's what he came to do. He came to embody that good news and to give it away. And if we're followers of his, we're called to be people who embody that good news and precisely taking it to those who need it the most. And that's when we will be fulfilled. And that's when we'll see results like we haven't seen before because we haven't taken that risk. This is the step of faith. It was a number of years ago, um, I got a phone call. I was pastor of a church in Walnut Creek. I got a phone call from one of our parishioners, and she said, um, I've met a homeless family here at the Burger King, and uh, I don't know what to do with them. I bought them lunch. Uh, I don't want to leave them here. It's a mother and father and two little girls. What do I do? So I looked at my seminary notes and couldn't find any reference to this. I had no background. I had no idea what to do. I'd never been in this experience before. I wanted to tell her it was her problem, but I'm the pastor. So I said, well, I'm coming over. She said, well, I have to go somewhere, so I hope you're coming quickly. Yes, I'll be there right away. So I went over there, and I met this mom and dad. The dad's got a black eye. He's been beat up pretty badly in a fight. The mom's eyes are down. She never looks up. And here's a nine-year-old girl and a seven-year-old girl. And all of their worldly possessions are in a shopping cart. So what do you do? Well, you've heard something about me and my character and how generous I am. <laughs> and so it became clear to me, in a, in a flash of conviction, that um, I couldn't leave them there. So I brought them home. My wife was at the door. And I introduced her to Gary and Debbie and the two girls, um, Katrina and Alicia. And if you had met these two little girls, you wouldn't be able to leave them either. It was absolutely impossible. As hard-hearted as I can be at times, as distracted by my own priorities, I could not leave them there. Everything in a shopping cart. So they came in, and they stayed with us about a month. Now, that sounds slightly heroic, except you already know too much about me, so I get no credit. <laughs> My wife welcomed them with open arms, and we provided some hospitality. They all slept in the same bedroom together, mom and dad, two little girls, in our extra bedroom. And then began the adventure some would call it an ordeal, and at times it was an ordeal because he was an alcoholic. 
and she was a battered wife. And these two little girls were taking care of their parents. They were the ones who went shopping if, some, if they needed food and if they had any money. But they stayed there for a month, and it became clear that we had lots of problems and we were overwhelmed. We couldn't help them. We had to mobilize a whole church around this family. And people stepped up. They stepped up with money in some cases. They stepped up with, with uh, friendship and with counsel and with practical information. And ultimately, Gary had to go through rehab. And uh, mom had to recover from uh, the battered woman syndrome, and she needed women to come alongside of her. And we needed to get them into a place. Ultimately, we did after he went through rehab. And uh, all kinds of things had to come together, and there were giant leaps forward, and there were disheartening steps backward. And all through it, I learned to pray harder than I've ever learned to pray. You see, I don't really need to pray much of the time. I'm glad God's there, but I don't really need him too often, a couple times a year, you know. But this was a lesson that was as much about what I was learning as about what they needed. Long story short, miracles broke out, as they often do when people take steps of faith, and they were taking a step of faith. Imagine their faith coming into our house. What are these people going to do to us? My wife showed great faith in her husband's questionable judgment. And the church stepped up, and this family now, today, is a spectacle. Um, they own their own home. Imagine that. They both work and are very skilled at what they do. And uh, one of their daughters in particular is a ministry dynamo. Um, she's married with three kids of her own now. And uh, every time I'm around her, my heart just melts. I, 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 I just, it's one of my favorite stories. And it became an impetus to think through responding to Jesus' call much more often than I do with a much more open heart. So where are you? Where are you in this? Do you notice those who are poor and needy? For whatever reason, whatever circumstances, whatever problems, whatever uh, uh, abuse they've endured, whatever unfairness, injustice they've experienced. I mean, there are whole nations of people. My trips to Haiti reminds me of that. There are communities of people, and there are individuals who are wandering around a bit lost. And what do they need? They need a lot. They need emergency help sometimes. Um, They need emergency housing, emergency food. But every one of them needs emergency friendship needs a relationship. You might not have all the answers all by yourself. It may take a community to respond to somebody in need. We have so much resource. God has blessed us so much. We have no idea what we have to offer. We have so much to offer. You have so much to offer. GRX has so much to offer. And most of all, again, in case we get distracted by all the stuff we have, and even the intelligence and the skills and the knowledge we have, we have a relationship. We have a friendship to offer. Will your heart open to that degree? Because serving the poor, as Jesus calls us to do that, as he himself did it, involves that kind of relationship, involves loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, as God loves them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this brief scan of your word. It's quite clear from this passage 
these passages and so many others we could have looked at, that you have a huge heart for those who are in trouble, for those who are lost, for those who are in need, for those who don't even have their daily bread on a consistent level. We take a lot for granted, Lord, ourselves. We have some amount of pride because we've accomplished and we've earned and we've provided for ourselves, forgetting that every breath we take is a gift from you. Stir up, Lord, our our hearts and that compassion that you will pour into our hearts and show us the opportunities we have and give us the creativity to think through how we can truly be helpful. And Lord, most of all, behind all of this, show us the beauty of the person we're looking at, the person you identify with, the person you are ready to invest in, and you're calling us to partner with you in this investment. And yes, Lord, we have to use wisdom, and we have to think it through, and we have to think through what's going to be truly helpful and not help in ways that ultimately hurt. Yes, all of that is true. But first of all, Lord, you just have to open our eyes and open our hearts because we want to represent you to folks who maybe have given up, who don't think you notice them or care about them anymore. Lord, this is the good news. We want to part, be part of the ministry of Jesus himself who proclaims good news to the poor and then to watch and see what you can do, the miracles that you can accomplish. Lord, there's no greater thing. Thank you for this time, this reminder, and this wonderful mission you've called us into. In Jesus' name, amen.